Philippians chapter 4, and uh, this morning we're just looking at uh, two verses, uh, verses 8 through, uh, eight, verses 8 and 9. And, uh, but I'll begin reading at uh, Philippians 4, verse 1. So listen now to the reading of God's holy word. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Iodia and I implore Syndicate to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Seek the Lord's blessing on this His holy word. O gracious God in heaven, how we rejoice and give thanks to you for the truth of your word. We know it is our only infallible rule for faith and life that it reveals to us what we're to believe concerning you and what the duty that you require of us. And as we come before this particular passage this morning, we pray, Lord, that your spirit would truly go forth with your word. And then as it does so, that would find within each of our hearts that rich, fertile soil, which will bring about a great and abundant fruit for your glory. Father, we pray now for your blessing upon your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, throughout this letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul has been warning the Philippians and ultimately also us that we're engaged in a great spiritual battle. And of course this battle evidences itself in a variety of ways in the, in the persecution of those who proclaim the gospel as uh, evil ones rise up rejecting the gospel, rejecting God. They reject God's people and they persecute those who speak the truth. It's also come about in, uh, in doctrinal assaults uh, by false teachers who have crept in and, and are uh, seeking to point people back to the law rather than to point them to the Lord Jesus Christ and to corrupt uh, the true uh, glorious good news of the gospel. And of course there are also the assaults of the evil one himself that come in the form of sin and temptation that daily stand in each of our ways. If you're to live as citizens of the gospel and the kingdom of God, which is, again, one of the themes that Paul is seeking to, to address and call us to do, then you must stand fast in your faith as you regularly engage in these battles. Now, in the last chapter, uh, Paul has been illustrating these challenges, or, or excuse me, not in the last chapter, but in this last chapter, in chapter 4, 
Paul has been illustrating these challenges with some very specific and practical examples. And so, for example, he's charged the body of believers to assist two women whose conflict was disrupting the peace and unity of the body, which, of course, would then make the whole body susceptible to even greater tax if there was disunity within that body. And, of course, as they face persecution from those outside the church... Again, the Apostle has challenged them to pursue the peace of God which surpasses all understanding by rejoicing always, revealing their gentleness to others, and by not worrying about anything, but that in all things they should seek the Lord in prayer. Well, now in his final exhortation to them, he illustrates the battle that takes place within ourselves. The daily struggle against sinful thoughts and desires. And you see, beloved, gaining victory in this battle is critical in accomplishing our overall purpose of glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. Now Paul has reassured in verse 7 that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So there's this guarding of the hearts and minds of God's people through Christ, and it's the peace of God. And we noted last time how Paul, his concern was that our hearts and minds would be protected from worry. As we joyfully seek the Lord at all times, placing our full and our complete trust in Him, that the Holy Spirit, as we do that, the Holy Spirit will work that peace of God in us so that we can withstand difficult and challenging times without wearing and without doubting God's care for us. Remember as Peter challenged to lay your burdens before the Lord because He truly does care for you. And that's what Paul was speaking in the the previous verses. But as we see now here in verse 8, Paul's concern shifts from the battleground outside, right? The the trials and the unpleasant circumstances that we endure from things that happen uh, outside and, and, and press in upon us. That he now shifts to the internal battleground in our hearts and in our minds. Together, the heart and the mind represent our emotions, our will, our desires, and our thoughts. And when we're engaged in spiritual warfare, our emotions, desires, and thoughts become, ultimately become prime targets for Satan's assaults. But why is that? Well, because our emotions, desires, and thoughts is often where our sin nature that remains within us will rise up to the occasion and seek us to open us up to Satan's temptations. Yes, and even though we've been redeemed by Christ, even though we've been washed and cleansed from our sin, that we've been freed from condemnation, even though we truly are new creatures and new creations in the Spirit uh, through Christ because the Spirit dwells in us, we haven't yet been made perfect in Christ. There still remains in us there still remains in us that remnant of the sin nature. Now, the Apostle Paul 
<coughs> goes into great detail about this this spiritual battle that takes a place within us and even within himself uh, in Romans 7. It's the, the battle against our flesh. And in Romans 7, if you can recall that, it's that interesting passage that sometimes is a little challenging to read, but where the apostle is, is saying, look, that which I want to do, I don't do. And that what I don't want to do, well, that's what I end up doing because it's, again, it's that the remnant of the sin nature in us, that flesh that's in us. But he has the desire to do what is right in God's sight. But there's this war going on within him, this battle with his own flesh. And that flesh, again, is representative of the remaining of the sin nature in us. Well, friends, this is the same battle that we engage in each and every day as we seek to put off our old corrupt ways of living and strive to live in the grace and strength of God to put on the new way of living in Christ Jesus. And though we often think about this battle specifically in terms of behavior, that is, what we do or what we shouldn't do, and battling between that, well, obviously it has roots in the desires and thoughts of the heart and mind. And so this is precisely what the the connection that Paul is making here in verses 8 and 9. You see, our sinful thoughts and desires are what tempt and entice us to sin. This is the warning that the Apostle James gives in James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. He says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. And our own desires, our own thoughts can draw us away and entice us. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. It's that own, our own desires is what opens us up to Satan's temptations, and we fall, and we fall into sin, and sin giving birth leads us to death and condemnation. And so what we struggle with in our hearts and minds often is going to then show itself in our actions. Even Jesus confirms this. In Matthew 15, He says to His disciples, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. And so our hearts, out of our hearts, out of the the evil desires and thoughts of our hearts proceeds action, sinful action. And indeed, our hearts, even our redeemed hearts, again, because of that remnant of the sin nature that remains in us, our hearts are factories for all sorts of sinful thoughts and desires that that want to break forth into actual sin. And so our hearts and our minds then become the very real battleground for this spiritual warfare taking place within us. Now, we know that when the Lord Jesus Christ returns at the end of the age, that at that time we will be made perfect in Him and this battle will be done with. We look forward to the time when that battle is done. In fact, because of what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross, the overall victory has already been won, right? So even though we're engaged in these daily battles, we know ultimately that the victory over our enemy, over Satan, sin, and death, and temptation has been won in Christ Jesus. 
And so even though we won't achieve perfection in this life, well, by the grace of God and the Spirit of Christ working in us, we can actually increasingly enjoy the benefits of that victory, even now in our lives, as we engage in this daily battle. But how do we do that? How do we engage in battle with something that's actually a part of us? Well, Paul offers one approach here, and the approach that he gives actually essentially amounts to starvation. Starvation. That's how we engage in this battle. That is, we don't give the remnant of this sin nature in us any food from which it can grow and expand in our hearts and in our minds. And so again, yes, that, that remnant of this sin nature will always be there and cause us problems until we're perfected at the return of Christ. But friends, we don't have to encourage its work in us by feeding it garbage from the outside world that turns our hearts and our minds away from pursuing the glory of Christ. If we consume garbage, we're going to produce garbage. If we consume what's good and glorifying to Christ, well then our sinful hearts and minds won't have as much to work with And we can actually then gain victory in this battle and enjoy true peace within ourselves. And so this is what Paul proposes here in in verse 8. As he lists a series of, of virtues that we're to consume with our hearts and our minds. Now, I want to note again Paul's use of all-inclusive and comprehensive language, right? Six times he repeats whatever. Whatever things. And basically he means by that everything. Everything that's connected to nobility and to purity and to truth. And then twice he mentions, and if there is anything else. If, there, if there's anything, if there's anything that is um, praiseworthy. If there is anything that is good. And now here... He's not raising doubts. And he's not saying that is, if such things exist, they do exist. Now Paul is basically summarizing here that if there's anything that I've missed, anything that might be considered excellent, or anything that might be considered virtuous, or anything that might be considered worthy of praise, well, it's all to be included. And that we're to meditate on these things, we're to think about them, we're to dwell on them in our hearts and our minds, so that the sinful thoughts and desires have no room to grow, but instead they'll become stagnant and ineffective at leading us astray. That's the goal. We're starving that remnant of the sin nature in us by giving food that it's not going to be interested in eating. Well, the first virtue that's mentioned here is whatever things are true. That is, think about and meditate on those things which are in accordance with historical fact, which are genuine and real. Stay away from lies. Stay away from deceit and error. But be vigilant against them as you focus on the truth. And of course, we know the greatest expression of truth is a very real, genuine truth of God's Word. 
And so if you regularly consume the Word of God by reading and studying it with your minds and treasuring it up in your hearts, then you'll be well equipped to battle against falsehood and lies. And there is much falsehood and there are much lies out there, even in the church, of false teaching and doctrine. We need to be rooted in the truth of God's Word in order to know what that is. Of course, this is exactly what Eve didn't do in the Garden of Eden. And instead of, of, instead of holding the truth of God's Word and clinging to it and holding on to it, no, she entertained in her heart and mind the lie of Satan. And of course it led her to sin and led to the sin of Adam and to the sin of the misery of the whole human race who came from them. And so whatever is true, whatever is true, then meditate on that to the glory of God. Meditate on His Word. It is truth. Secondly, we're to focus our attention upon whatever things are noble, including noble speech and noble deeds. Now, noble means dignified, appropriate, honorable, and respectful, as opposed to those things which are demeaning and vulgar and shameful and trashy. There's certainly much in our culture that's dishonorable. And a lot of it comes right into our homes through the TV, the radio, or the internet. Now this isn't to say that you can't watch TV or listen to songs on the radio or play video games or use social media. But certainly, if you want to strive to fulfill your purpose of seeking to glorify God, you need to be very, very discerning about what and about how much time you're watching and listening and playing. Ask yourself, as you're doing that, what am I feeding? What am I feeding if I watch this show or watch this video? What am I feeding if I play this game or listen to this song? Are you feeding your heart and mind with noble things so that you'll bring glory to God? Or are you feeding the sin nature with vulgar and dishonorable things? Well, in time, the evidence of what you've been consuming will ultimately reveal itself in your words and in your actions. And God will be the judge. And so strive to dwell then on whatever is noble. Thirdly, meditate on whatever things are just. Now, today we hear a lot about what's right and just in our society, and there are plenty of calls for social justice. But we have to back up and we have to think, well, in a world that believes truth is relative, and in a world that rejects an absolute standard of truth, well, it becomes difficult to see how they could possibly determine what is just. Just by what? Or By whose standard? At best, you get conflicting, incompatible truths, truths in quotes, inconsistently held together. That's what you get at best, is just this kind of conflicting, my truth, your truth, everybody's truth, and everybody's different uh, 
And there's, there's conflict because no one's settled on what is truly just. Because there's no, they reject a perfect standard. But of course at worst, or at worst, the, end, the worst end of it is there could end up being tyranny and the imposition of truth, of this false truth, whatever is true uh, that is held by the majority to the exclusion and even to the persecution of others. And we see a great deal of this. Kind of a mob mentality where the majority has this distorted sense of truth and justice and they're trying to impose that on others who have a different view of justice and even a proper and true view of justice. And so tyranny is the result. But we know there is an absolute standard for righteousness and justice. God. God is that standard. God and what He's revealed in His Word. And so when we speak of things that are right or just, we need to understand that that there are those things which conform to God's revealed will and His Word. That's what's just. Not what someone else's, some blogger's opinion is. Or some... uh, TikToker or influencer. And so helping the poor and needy, right? ministering to the lost and broken, protecting the weak and the helpless. Yes, these are all right and, and they're seeking of justice. And we should meditate on these things and how we might serve and minister in a very just and right way according to God's word. But our sense of justice needs to be informed by that word and not by the world. And so consider what's just. Fourthly, we should think on those things which are pure. Now, purity here refers to chaste, holy, without moral defect or blemish. And oftentimes, when we think of purity, we only think of sexuality. And certainly there are many impure things of a sexual nature that vie for our attention in our society and culture, whether it it comes from the entertainment industry or even from advertising and even the filth of pornography. But what you have here in the world, in the impurity of the world, is all these images, all these words, all these thoughts that are being sent out in hopes that they'll find a place to reside in your hearts and minds. See, there's, it's, it's purposeful. Right? They're sending these messages through all these means of media and, and other things to communicate a message. And they want that message to reach your heart and your mind. And of course, those who send them out, again, they're, they're know that they, they know that once you receive that message that they're sending... Well, it's not going to be very easy to get rid of. And so you get hooked. And so the challenge here is that we should guard against consuming such forms of sexual impurity. But there are also non-sexual impurities. Things like dwelling on ourselves and fulfilling our own needs first and foremost. These can lead to impure motives. Things like, like envy, strife, and covetousness. They are also impure. And so against these two, we must also guard. And so we should dwell on whatever is pure and and holy. Again, where do we find that? We find it in God's word. Fifthly, we should dwell on whatever things are lovely. 
Now, lovely things are pleasing, they're agreeable, they inspire us and others to love. Now, of course, the problem here is that we can be easily deceived and think that things are lovely, pleasing, and agreeable when actually they aren't. Again, we look to the standard of God's Word to determine what is lovely. Not only the beauty that we find in creation that declares the glory of God, but even things like selflessness and self-sacrifice and putting the needs and concerns of others before our own. That is what loveliness is, right? You read through 1 Corinthians 13 and see what love is all, how it's defined by God. And that's what you see here. Selflessness and self-sacrifice and putting those needs and concerns of others before your own. That is what's truly lovely. Not just the mere appearance of what seems what is beauty, what we determine in our minds as beautiful or attractive, but what is truly lovely according to God's Word. And again, 1 Corinthians 13 gives you a good description of what is truly lovely. Well, the sixth virtue that we're called to meditate on is whatever things are of good report, that is, of good reputation, commendable, and leading to approval. And this involves considering what's not offensive to others, what engenders the speaking of good words, so things like hard work and uh, dedication, honesty, keeping your word, humility, and doing all things without complaining or arguing. You don't want to be known as a complainer or an arguer, You want to be known as one who has a good report. So dwell on those things which make a good impression and build a positive reputation. And again, not just for yourself, but ultimately that points people to the Lord Jesus Christ and the faith that you have in Him. But finally, Paul ends the list with two summary terms. If there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So again... He's saying that if I've missed anything else, then meditate on those. If it's good and glorifying to God, meditate on it. If it's bad and doesn't bring glory to God, well then don't meditate on it. Now this whole discussion is significant. Because Paul is here telling us that we can actually have self-control. We can even control what we think about. Now, many people like to use the excuse, well, I can't help it. Right? Or I can't stop thinking about this or that. But Paul is saying that there's no excuse. Because you can control your thoughts. Now, obviously, if we see something untrue, dishonorable, unjust, impure, ugly, or of ill repute in the world around us, we're likely going to have a thought or two about it. And we're not going to have much control over that if it just appears right in our sight of vision. But we do have control over how much we let that thought sink in. We have control over whether we dwell on it or not whether we meditate on it. And that's what Paul is talking about here. You see, if we fill our hearts and minds with meditations on what's good and pleasing to God, there's not going to be a whole lot of room left for negative thoughts to take root and grow. The battle for the heart and mind 
is rooted in our love, focused meditation, and time spent in God's Word. That's so again, beloved of God, starve, starve the sin nature of the garbage that it desires and thrives on by meditating on God's Word and on what Jesus Christ has done for you. But Paul isn't just concerned with thinking to the glory of God. He's also concerned that we live and do all that we do to the glory of God. And so if we can control our thoughts and what we meditate on, well then we can also then control our actions because our actions, remember, come from our thoughts and our desires. So you want to control your actions? You've got to begin by controlling your thoughts. In verse 9, Paul reminds the Philippians of the example that he set for them when he was with them. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Now note how Paul, again, strings together the verbs here, each revealing a different aspect of the example that he gave them. What they learned and received was the truth of the gospel that Paul proclaimed. He taught them to dwell on the good things and the good news about how Jesus came to suffer and die for the sins of the people and how He provided a way for undeserving sinners to be reconciled to God. Right? That's the good news of the gospel. What a wonderful thing to, to meditate upon. Paul taught these things to them and they received them and they believed in them. But also, Paul demonstrated the good news of the gospel to them and how he lived his life when he was in their midst. They heard how he spoke. How he spoke with boldness and truth, sincerity and nobility. They saw how he lived. How he actually lived out the principles that he was teaching them and telling them to live. He wasn't just sitting up on a high word saying, you know, you do this. But no, he's doing it right as, as he's trying to tell them to do it. Even now, as he's writing to them from a Roman prison, he's still trying to give them an example to follow and imitate. Now we may wonder here, is is Paul being a little arrogant? Because it may seem like he's putting all the attention on himself. You know, look at me. Look how great I'm doing. Look at all that I've done. Follow my example. Well, not at all. Because the apostle has the same struggles that they do, that we do. He hasn't yet been made perfect. He reminded them this of back in chapter 3, verse 12. He says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. And so you see here, Paul isn't boasting about his accomplishments. He's simply charging them to follow him in his endeavor to lay hold of Christ. He's right there with them. And he speaks, remember we mentioned before, that he speaks about the struggle within the flesh in in some detail in in Romans 7. He's talking about his own struggles there. He's not above the fray of battle. He too needs to work at meditating on what is virtuous and what is praiseworthy. And this the Philippians have seen themselves when Paul was with them. And so in this way, they're to follow his example. They've seen him struggle. They know he's still struggling. He's right there with them. But he's trying to give them an example to imitate. 
But again, Paul doesn't just want them to meditate and think good thoughts. Right? Some believe that this is all you need to do. Right? Think positive thoughts. Meditate on them and, and somehow it's going to magically cause all things to go for, well for you. Right? As if it can, can change the reality around you. Even the pain, the suffering and the misery of this life that we truly in, endure. As if you can change that by simply thinking positive thoughts and creating your own false reality where those things just don't exist. This is the error of the false health and and wealth gospel. Just think positive thoughts and everything's going to be okay. Ignore that pain. Don't get treatment for your cancer. Just ignore it. You're going to be fine. God has a plan and purpose for you. No, that's erroneous. That's a false view. And of course, this isn't what Paul is talking about here. In fact, in verse 7, when he says, meditate on these things, the sense of the verb is to think in such a detailed and logical way with the implication that you're actually going to act. That is, that the thoughts and meditation should lead to action, not just creating a fantasy world around you. And again, we know many people live in a fantasy world because they're just trying to think positive thoughts, ignoring the very real pain and suffering and trials going on around them. This is the idea Paul reinforces in verse 9 when he says, these do, right? He's mentioned all these virtues, meditate on them, but also do them. Right? His battle plan for them is that their meditation on what is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, and of good report will translate into actions that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, and of good reputation. As they purposely put these things into practice. Don't just dwell on them, but actually do them, practice them to the glory of God. And this you ought to keep doing. Again, the action is continuous. You're to continuously do these things. And as you can imagine, the more you do these things, well, the more good thoughts that you're going to have to meditate on. And of course, the more good thoughts that you have to meditate on, the more it's going to encourage you to act accordingly. And then, of course, around and around it goes until eventually you realize, hey, I've made great progress in the spiritual battle taking place inside. As the remnant of the sin nature has less and less of a grip in my life, And the drive and desire to glorify God has greatly increased. And so it just keeps going round and round to build you up. To show you that progress of sanctification is ultimately what we're talking about. The result then isn't just peace that surpasses all understanding. But Paul says here that the God of peace will be with you. So you will have both the blessing of peace... And then you also have the giver of that peace dwelling within you, equipping you, blessing you, empowering you, giving you the grace and strength to truly bring glory to God in all that you do. And you'll know that the Spirit of God is in you because you'll be making progress in the daily battle against sin and temptation and against sinful thoughts and desires. And this will even be evident to others as the grace of God works in you to produce God-glorifying fruit in your lives. People are going to notice. They're going to notice that there's something different about how you speak, about the way that you live, and even about the way you think. 
the God of peace will surely be with you. There's one other important point to note here. The reason Paul lists all these virtues and charges the Philippians to follow his example and meditate on on them and doing them is that in doing so, they're ultimately being pointed toward the one who has perfectly pursued and exemplified these in his life, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, all these virtues, truth, nobility, justice, purity, loveliness, good reputation, virtue, and everything that is praiseworthy, these all describe Jesus Christ and have been perfectly displayed in Him. And so as you pursue them, by the grace of God, not only does the God of peace dwell in you, but you reflect the glory of the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, as you engage in this daily battle, for your heart and your minds, as you press on in the all-sufficient grace of God with thinking and doing to the glory of God, you reveal, you reveal to yourselves, giving you assurance, you reveal to others, bearing witness, you even reveal to Satan and to God that you are actually gaining in your pursuit of Christ-likeness. And beloved of God, being like Christ is our highest goal and purpose, all to the glory of God. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, we rejoice and give thanks to You for this great reminder and challenge to think and meditate on these good things, on these virtues that we find in Your Word, and that we especially find most fully revealed and perfectly displayed in Your beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that by meditating upon these things, we will will go far in doing the battle, the daily battle, against that remnant of the sin nature that remains in us. Because it will be depriving that sin nature of the garbage that it depends upon, the garbage that is thrown at us from the world. Father, we just pray that You would, by Your grace, help us to progress in this sanctification. And that we are thankful, as Paul even has mentioned in, earlier in this book, that He has begun a good work and You will complete it to the day of Christ. And so that we know He has begun that in us and that it will be brought to completion. We will be brought to that point of perfection. But the battle is hard. The daily battle is hard. And sometimes we forget the goal that is at the end. The assurance, the prize that awaits. The surety of being perfect in Christ Jesus when He comes in power and glory at the end of the age. And so we just pray, Father, that You would truly give each of us the the grace and the strength by Your Spirit dwelling in us to fight this battle vigorously, to meditate upon these good things and to forsake those things that are evil. We just ask, Father, that You would truly impress impress these truths upon each of our hearts. That You would truly draw each of us close to Yourself. That we might be faithful witnesses for Your glory. And that we might truly be transformed and changed by the power of the Gospel. All to the glory and praise of Your holy name. We pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.